Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Jillian Bryan, thank you for joining me on Women in B2B Marketing. You're my very first guest ever, and it's very fitting because you're one of my bestest friends in the whole world. So, so glad to have you join us here. And for the few people out there who don't know yet who you are, if you could give us a little backstory as to how you got into B2B Marketing and what you're doing today, et cetera. Jane, first, before I talk about myself, I'm so honored honestly, to be here. When you asked me to do this, I was having a little bit of a low day and we had a really great (laughs) call and you were like thinking that you were asking me like a really big favor, but it's not a big favor at all. Like doing this and talking to you about what we do on a daily basis is like such an honor. And I'm so proud of you and excited for you. And now that I've given you that, let me talk about me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I have a very interesting path into marketing and I would say it's probably pretty unique in that, so for people who don't know, we went to college together, and we lived together in college, and Jane was studying marketing and business, and I completed my undergrad without taking a single business or marketing class. I had zero formal education in marketing, and I started my career as a writer and a journalist. Um, in 2007, during the death of print, which was a really great time to try to break into an industry. And because of that, I ended up working for a lot of digital publications, um, small digital publications. And that was a time when audience development, community, the rise of MySpace, Twitter, Facebook, building communities on that platform, that was really, you know, up and coming for publishers. And all of the publishers that I worked for looked to me as the recent college graduate to figure out how to do it. And so that's kind of my foray into marketing was really hacking social media, you know, before the rise of Instagram and TikTok. And I did that for many years. And, and then as I had more experience with social media, I started doing different types of marketing, like email marketing, really focused for media companies, building their communities. And then eventually I got a job in B2B tech, working for a cybersecurity company, really coming in to do social media and eventually grew to own comms and content and social media underneath that and really found my niche there with a focus on telling strategic stories, really thinking about an audience and using my my skills as a journalist and as a writer and as a storyteller, but on behalf of marketing companies and meeting their goals. And then I kind of did that for many years. I worked in ad tech, all with a content background. And then I, I spent six years as an e-marketer, principal analyst where it was really a culmination of all of my skill sets because I was able to interview executives, dig into research and data, write stories, tell stories, written, verbal. We did a lot of podcasts, webinars, but I also was writing about something I'm really passionate about, which is the marketing space. So I wrote reports on everything from account-based marketing, content marketing. We did forecasts on how big the digital ad market was at any given time. I did that during COVID. Really fun <laughs> to be an analyst <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> during the height of COVID and trying to tell marketers what to do when 
none of us really knew what to do. We no were all one figuring knew. it out. And, and, and yeah, it's been, a, it's been a little bit more than 15 years. I'm currently back brand side, senior director of content strategy at Brightcove. Been there about a year and building a content practice and really supporting demand gen, product marketing, brand, and trying to tell really compelling stories in the market to drive pipeline. Like that's what I do at the end of the day. Love it. Thanks, Jillian. How do you think your time at eMarketer um, covering marketing from all different aspects and and just seeing hearing everyone's stories, kind of what my goal is with this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is what you did for six years there. What? How do you think that shaped the future of what you're going to do in marketing now and future growth, et cetera? I love that question. And I took the role at eMarketer. I mean, I was a practitioner. I was like in the yeah. of working for an ad tech company that I was working for Rhythm One. I don't think they exist anymore. But I took the role because it was an opportunity for me to say, oftentimes as marketers, and I think this is true across all levels, whether you're an entry-level marketer or someone like I'm currently at a senior director level, so middle management. And, you know, up until like that that C-suite position, we're in the weeds a lot. And a lot of times it's a lot of doing without thinking. And I feel like that can be detrimental if you're not taking the time to like make decisions, understand the trends, understand the data. And my time at eMarketer really gave me this very high level view to to truly understand what was happening in the space. And my favorite part about the job was, was triangulation, meaning that I would talk to an executive that was in a similar role across a bunch of different companies. And when you're having the conversation, themes start to pop out at you. Wow. A lot, I'm having, you know, doing a report about content marketing measurement, for example. Okay. I've talked to five different people with five different experiences, but they're all in the same role. They're all talking about attribution. And then that tells you, okay, attribution is the topic that I should be mm-hmm. focusing on. That's the theme. So it's really about having the opportunity to talk to. I mean, I got to interview some of the best and brightest in marketing conversations yeah. with MasterCard CMO and leadership at Google and, and getting to go to the 3M office in Minneapolis and, and meet with their leadership, like across all different industries, right? And being privy to be in the room and have conversations with those people who are the brightest minds. It's a highlight of my career. And I hope that that foundation, now that I'm back on the practitioner side, will, will help me be a better and, and smarter marketer. But of course, even after a year back on practitioner side, it's, it's not all theory, right? Like it, yeah. it's harder to do than just talk about it. And I'm definitely seeing that after after my time at eMarketer. Yeah, that makes sense. I love though that you got exposure to what everybody is doing. So it gave you this foundation of seeing everything that's possible out there. It must've sparked so many ideas that you can now put to use brand side. Yeah. And a lot of it is, you know, hearing about what's latest and greatest. So learning about a trend when it's only the most cutting edge marketers that are doing it and and struggling to do it, right? Like they're perhaps with like account-based marketing where it's like, we're, we're building a pilot. We're figuring out how to do content personalization at scale. And a lot of the marketers that I had interviewed, while they had really great best practices and they had frameworks that they developed, there were still challenges. And no matter what I was covering, there was always another challenge to be solved. And I think that's what gets me excited about marketing is we're going to bring our best and our greatest. We're going to use all the latest technology, all of our expertise, try to understand our audience. 
and there'll always be something else that we need to solve. And and I find that to be challenging, yes, but also like it it gets me going in the morning. Like I want to solve those problems as a marketer. I love that. Well, what what problems are you solving lately, or what's what's working for you right now? It could be things that you discovered um, previously from your research, or things that you're just kind of stumbling into. What's what do you think is working now in B two B marketing in your world? Yeah, one of the things that I'm I'm most excited, and, and I think this comes because I spent so much time at eMarketer, so I have a little bit of bias towards using data to tell stories. It is really building a, a research muscle at Brightcove. So since I've started, we've commissioned several primary research studies. Awesome. And, I, and I think the value of that is obviously like, okay, we're conducting a survey of our, like to tell a relevant story in the market. So for example, we've done a lot of audience preference surveys. So we think about our customers that we serve, their audience that they are trying to serve, and what their preference is for video. Brightcove is a video streaming mm-hmm. platform. And so we surveyed B2B buyers. We surveyed e-commerce shoppers. We surveyed employees. Those are the three different cohorts that we went out to. And for me, those findings, at the end of the day, the lowest hanging fruit and the most obvious thing, and what I do as a content marketer, is great. We have research. We write a report. We have a white paper. We put it on the website and gate it. But that's just the tip of the iceberg there. And the fun for me, the challenge is like, great, I I checked the box on what I was supposed to deliver. We're using that content and we're going to drive leads, right? That's going to drive pipeline. But how Mm -hmm. else are we using that data? And this is where it comes to like cross-functional alignment. That isn't just a marketing story. It's how can we use the findings to for our CMO to present on a stage? In our investor relations speech, for example, to help drive up the stock price, are we making sure that our sales team understands the finding so we're presenting it in a sales enablement um, kind of pitch so that they know what they need to tell their prospects or their their audience? Are we writing yeah. templates for them to use that data when they're having conversations and really arming them to understand exactly what it is? You know, we also made sure that we put it out with the media. And so it's yeah, really good PR play for sure. Yeah, it's thinking about, okay, we're making this one, we're doing this thing for content, but it isn't just content. And I think cross-functional sharing of ideas is something that I'm really focused on at Brightcove and, and, and really passionate about. I think the, the data and the stories aren't just, oh, we're using this as, you know, a, a middle funnel touch to, you know, nurture a buyer through the journey. Like, yeah, that's one of the goals, but there's so much more to do with with thought leadership and research beyond just kind of the digital marketing journey or the digital yeah. buyer's journey, I should say. Love it. And repurposing, right? I think I read about this all the time everywhere. I've seen it myself at various positions, but there's so much content that you can create that you it's almost exciting and it, you can tend to in the content world get into the next best thing and the next project mm-hmm. whereas you have this whole pile of content that's amazing that's already sitting there that's not being repurposed it's not being seen um, so yeah. making sure that you're chunking it in and sharing it with other teams and it can be leveraged everywhere especially when it's data driven in surveys I love that you're giving me yeah. ideas already. <laughs> yeah, I think net new can be the enemy of a content marketer, right? It's like mm. net new great. You need net new. It's important, especially if there's a new persona that's in your go-to-market or if there's a new region that you're trying to break into. Like, yeah, you need net new content. 
but I think there's there's a thirst and this is I've seen this across like I, during my time at eMarketer too when I was interviewing content marketers it's just, yeah. we need the next new white paper we need the next new blog so post. True. cool or look at this great blog post that has been indexed for SEO it ranks really well 90% of it is still up to date how can we refresh it so it, it, yes. it's also not getting captured by like what's on the content calendar that's new it's like are you thinking about a content audit are you thinking about like a meta tag strategy to make sure your content yeah. is indexed so you know what you had if you want to do a personalized journey for 8 p.m. And so those are some of yeah. the things that I mean they're not they're not that sexy. They're really not yeah. just talked about meta tagging, Jane. Like it's not <laughs> but, it's, but it's important yeah. and I think fundamental to setting up like a content practice. And that's I mean when you, you so your initial question was what am I doing? And I, I'm setting up a yeah. content practice and something that's scalable and sustainable long term so that Brightcode can keep creating really great content to to drive audience behavior and, and nurture prospects and also, you know, help with, with customer growth too on the other side of it. It's it. just like driving new customers, it's engaging current customers and understanding how we're meeting their needs through content, right? Yeah. Do you find it's possible to achieve both of those goals at once mm-hmm. with the same content piece or do you end up having to recreate? I laughed. I don't know if that the mic picks that up. (laughs) My answer is that I think it depends. And this is where I mean, this is it gets a little like, kind of, this is more of like the science side of it, not really the art side of it. But that's where like that meta tagging can really come in handy. If all of your content is indexed in your dam, for example, and you have you want to do a customer campaign that's about F, then you could go into your dam in theory if you set it up properly and understand, well, okay, wait, we actually have all of this content about X. And the content was originally, the purpose of it was a mid-funnel asset for this type of persona, but wait, that actually will work here. And, and you might not even need to refresh it. It's just, you might need to write yeah. like some new copy in like the email or in the ad campaign. So you're putting like mm-hmm. kind of a new cover on it. But if your content's properly indexed, that the and you know what you have, then you're not in that like net new being kind of chasing your tail all the time. Yeah, good point. And I keep thinking as we're talking to this has been in my mind lately, but it's so common in the world of content marketing to have this amazing content, but just nobody sees it because it doesn't get out there. So having that focus on SEO is so important. Have you throughout your career in in the content side worked really closely with an SEO team or had to kind of do it yourself? Or how has that worked for you to get eyes on this amazing content that you and your team are creating? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on every company that I've worked at. It's it's been different, right? And I think that even at my level of content strategy, you have to have some understanding of the basics of SEO. I'm very yeah. fortunate to have a member of my team who has has a deep understanding, even though that's not his Clutch. full-time, <laughs> even though it's not his full-time job to do it. But the way that, that I approach it is like we we know what keywords we want to be ranking for. Yeah. That's the that was done in conjunction, you know, with with our web team. And then from there, it's okay, well, what content do we want to create based on what our demand gen team is asking for? based on what product innovation is coming down the roadmap, like it's a balance between the two. You can't be all product focused. 
Yeah. And you have you have to understand like what audience your your global campaigns, your field team is really looking to reach. Um, and then with all that input is then like, cool, what are the keywords and the I, I call it aboutness. I don't know if that's a technical about marketing this. term. I, I, I love it. That's more from my journalism days, and that's really like a taxonomy term. But it's like, what is the aboutness of this piece of content? And then based on what story you want to tell, that's how you indicate what keywords you'll use. That's how you like kind of retroactively, what would what would our audience search for to find this piece of content? And and listen, it doesn't always work, but we're yeah. seeing new posts that we've we we just recently started publishing a monthly a weekly cadence. So for the last like three months, we're finally publishing a blog post once a week, which is a really big accomplishment. Nice. We have a yeah. calendar. And, and some of those posts are starting to be in like the top posts, like things that are six years old that I mean, way before I even got here are, you know, are still ranking really high because the people before me did their job right. And we're starting yeah. to see recent posts get into like that top monthly traffic list. Um, Amazing, and, and that's and that's because we're creating content that is helping the audience answer a question that they have. When I think about content, I need to solve a pain point. I need to answer a question. I need to help my audience do their job better, solve a business problem, so that they can walk away with some sort of value. Right, like that's my yeah. job, and so that's the content that we're creating is something that's going to solve their problem. Does it mention Brightcove? Of course. Yeah. But we're not leading. We're not leading with that. Yeah. I want to take it back because I know your your background as a travel writer. This oh you just kind oh, of sparked cool. this in me. I wonder if because you mentioned having to know your audience and solve a pain point, and that's so true. And it, we always have to, as marketers, find that balance right between optimizing for our keywords and solving these pain points and making sure first and foremost, that the content is actually valuable. Um, Because what's worse than coming across an article you think is going to solve your problems and it's crap and it's just trying to sell to you. Um, I literally had one of those this morning. (laughs) All the time. And they rank so well, but it gets you nowhere. But back in, I wonder if you did the same. So for everyone listening, Jillian used to be a travel writer. All of our group of friends were super jealous. She was always flying off to different countries and staying at these fancy resorts. It was amazing back in our 20s. But did you have to do have a similar sort of mindset of who your audience is, what their pain point is? I mean, it's all content that at the end of the day is marketing. Yeah. I, first of all, thanks for the throwback. And those were the good old days. I mean, I totally right? sold out to come to marketing because being a travel writer was cool when I like arrived at the fancy hotel and had a face towel and like a drink yeah. handed to me. And a total Love VIP. It. it was I was like an influencer <laughs> before influencers existed. You were imagine on the web, not like putting up a TikTok or an, an Instagram story, right? Yeah. Imagine if I would have stuck with it. Where where would I be? So uh, but funny. it paid horribly. It was not where yeah. the money. It was. paid in experiences, why, not exactly, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why when I was like, oh, I need to like not live at home anymore, I left that job <laughs> behind and got into social marketing, right? But to answer your question, you know, it, I think it's, it's a little bit different because the audience is different. But I think that you're yeah. hitting on the point, which is like you need to think about what your audience wants. And I also needed to think about what the PR firm was hoping to gain. Too. Like they were the ones inviting me on the trip. 
and giving yeah. me an experience. And like I, my job as a journalist, very different than a content marketer as a yeah. journalist was to best represent that experience, which didn't mean that it was all like, mm. like I would give, like if I had a bad experience or saw, saw something that perhaps wasn't up to a standard that the audience would expect, like I would highlight that in the article. But at the end of the day, it's like that audience is in the mindset of, I got to take a vacation. I need something, maybe, maybe it was budget travel. So then it's like, okay, this is a good price point. Or maybe they want something that's a little bit more luxury and you want to make sure the spa is up to like the high quality standard that they expect. So you're really thinking about like the the type of traveler that you're writing for. So yeah. in that way, it's the same type of strategy and tactic, yeah. right? Making sure that they're going to read the article and know with confidence that they can book this hotel or that ooh, maybe that isn't the destination for me because that isn't the type of travel experience that I want. I mean, of course, yes, we were using SEO back then too, whether it was around the destination or for example, whether it was like budget, family friendly, you know, couples trip, like all of those kind of categories. We didn't call it Meditag when I was there. Um, Those types of like aboutness is all really relevant too. Yeah. I love that you did these things. Yeah. This is bringing me back too, but it, I love that you did all of these things before they were things. So like being an influence market, influencer marketing and then metadata before there really was metadata and like being having to get your articles to rank and sharing it on social, et cetera. It's just funny seeing how that has evolved over the past decade yeah. or two. And I think that's where we are in marketing now too. Like the stuff that, and that's why I talk about the challenges that'll always be there ahead of you, even if you solved all the problems, right? Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Like the stuff that we're doing now that is hard is going to be the stuff in 10 years that we're really, really good at. And we didn't realize that we were good at it now, but we're, we're learning. And like, it's learning by doing a lot of times in marketing, listening to podcasts <laughs> like this, reading an e-marketer report, trying to find a white paper that isn't just going to try to sell you something and actually help you gain an insight to help you do your job better. Like, that, that's all that we're trying to do is just understand the practice of marketing. It's, yeah. it's not like a fully defined thing. It's uh, the art and science, right? Always the combination. Is there anything else? So from your your travel writing days and your e-marketer days, what do you think that you have brought from your journalism background into the world of marketing, social content, everything? Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I try, it's a struggle, you know, obviously there's messaging, there's positioning, and there's very strategic ways that, especially you know, a B2B staff, right, needs to go to market, needs to tell a story about its product or service, that value proposition. But I think that coming from a background where I understand all the strategic stuff you need to do, but I also just want to really tell a good story. And I think yeah. that sometimes that, that 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 isn't as important or that can get lost very easily when it's like, let's just write about this product feature or let's just, you know, talk about the fact that we have, you know, a new ESG program. Like all those things are really important and they're like stories to tell and we should be sharing it with our audience. But what's the value add and how are we how are we talking about something that's actually going to be compelling in the market and isn't just adding noise? So much yeah. noise out there. Like you scroll on LinkedIn, and and I really try to make sure that we're bringing like a very high quality to the content that is produced. And that's something that I I did in e marketer. I did before e marketer. 
and that I'll do, I want to do throughout my career. And that's hard to measure. And that's a challenge. Like, how do you, how do you measure authentic storytelling? Yeah, that's a great question. And an idea for anyone out there who wants to start a new SaaS company, that would be huge. (laughs) I've been, um, I, I love to talk about it. <laughs> it's such a good idea. It's true because that's been on my mind a lot lately, talking to a lot of peers about storytelling. And have you heard of Story Brand before? It's Are they a, like a tech company? The name no, it's familiar. I should know his name. I'll put it in the show notes. But there's this guy, he's a consultant, and he he um he's has some great advice on creating a a brand for your like telling your story of your brand to get it out there, but really to connect on that personal level, which is exactly what you're talking about, just connecting the dots with me. And it's so it's so hard to tell that story and to find that story that connects with people and especially so there's the holistic brand level, right? Of telling your brand mm-hmm. story. And then there's the chunk for each piece that you're creating, each content piece, each campaign that you're running to tell those stories. So it's great that you have that that journalism background. Like that's what you think of first, almost, it seems like. And then you can tie in all the marketing pieces. It's like holistic content strategy to me is what's important. And this is not a quote from me. I do not remember who said it to me in any marketer interview, but I continue to quote it. But it's like (laughs) random acts of content. Yes. Like just... What are, like, what are we trying to do? It's like, we, okay, we went to an event. We need to write a recap. Great. What's the recap about? What are we actually yeah. saying? Are we saying we were at X event? Does anybody care about that? Yeah. Maybe you. <laughs> maybe like, maybe your most loyal advocates and your, and your evangelists that are like super fans of your brand. And there's some yeah. B2B fast companies that like have that community part down and love it. It's a great model to try to emulate. But at the end of the day, it's like, what's the value we're adding? What are we saying that's differentiated? Or, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be differentiated, but like in in response, that's maybe contrarian. You know, like, yeah. like what are you adding to the conversation? Like not just repeating it. Because then you're not going to rank on Google. You're not going to stand out in a crowd. You know, it's, it's you're going to get more eyeballs to go back to your old, old question on your stuff yeah. if you're saying something that's a little bit different than the rest of the market. Yeah. Get them to actually care about it. So true. Random acts of content. I love that. That's a great quote. We talked about a few different stages of your your career, which has been awesome. I'm going to throw back. But what can you walk us through for the listeners any a hurdle that comes to mind of yours that that you've gone through that's made you a stronger marketer or has helped or a stronger person in general, stronger woman? It's a great question. It's a hard one. <laughs> yeah. I want to take a minute and not just like answer from the hip. There are a few things that are yeah. like coming up. I think for me, you know, especially as someone that comes from journalism and 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 is a writer, this isn't the way that a, a marketer t- typically talks, but like I talk about the work. Like the work is very important to me. And by the work, I mean the thing I wrote, the interview I conducted, the webinar I participated in, the podcast interview, like those things are are part of like the body of the work. It's like this amorphous thing. And getting constructive feedback on the work is, I mean, it's hard. And and it's always been a learning opportunity for me. And, And especially because a lot of my career has had an editorial motion to it. 
you get a lot of feedback <laughs> at, at email. Yeah. We had, um, so the process for writing reports was, was really cool. And you had like six weeks to write a report. That's all, I mean, it's not all you had to do, but like the focus and the energy that went into that. And you become very like emotionally invested. You become attached to it. And you're really close to the material, sometimes so close that like you're unable to look at it from afar. And yeah. then you do this thing called the peer review process, which is, okay, I've gotten the thing that I've spent six weeks on to a point where it's ready for eyeballs, yeah. internal eyeballs, not your audience yep. yet. And you send it to <laughs> another analyst, a researcher, a forecaster, an editor. Very cool. One or all and of they, those? Oh, all of them. And wow. they, I mean, that's why the quality of the work at eMarketer and now insider intelligence is so high because that's the process. Like you're not just shipping anything out the door to get it out the door. Like this stuff is embedded. The yeah. methodology is embedded. Yeah. The analysis is embedded. And when that comes back to you and what you're really close to and you have an editor say, oh, you, this analysis is shallow or an analyst say, oh, I, I, I don't agree. You know, what I heard in my in my interviews about ad tech is this. And like oh. that critical reflection of could I have done this better? Did I miss the mark? Is hard in the moment. And it's it's not like yeah. one hurdle. It's like it's a hurdle throughout the career. And being open to that is something that I've had to work on. It's hard to take at even editorial notes. But then the biggest hurdle is also knowing when feedback isn't true or isn't right. Oh. And sometimes I would get feedback from an editor and be like, yeah, no, I like I know this. <laughs> And it is this, and and it's it's you have to so it's it's the like trusting yourself, trusting your expertise, yeah. trusting the research that you did, and that's a, a skill that I I it's transferable to to marketing and just like really being open to, to feedback as a manager, right? Like I yeah. have a team. am I am I doing a good job as like an emotionally intelligent leader that's also advocating for the best of the organization? Like I think just being open to feedback and being willing to hear it is so is the true. hurdle throughout all of our careers. But also I love that. feedback is noise. Sometimes you don't have to listen to them. <laughs> yeah. I that's such a good takeaway and something I think I'm still we're probably all still um evolving oh, on that front, right? I'm and not learning good how at to it yet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something that you're aware of. Step one, yeah. right? <laughs> the learning how to it's hard for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for many of us, I'm sure. But learning how to embrace feedback, yet still be able to identify what feedback, what you do with that feedback, right? When to, when that means you change something, you tweak something, or you just defend it and stick to your guns. I hate that yeah. expression. I need a new expression for that. But yeah, when yeah. to to stick with with your gut and, and your know gut. where's the feedback coming from? Is it grounded yes. in in something that? a coachable moment for me or is this more about the person that's giving me feedback and and yeah. then also being like have like for me a, a community of marketers so like Jane and I talk a lot about our experience as marketers I'm also a board member on a for um, M2M it's a women in B2B marketing group that was founded in New York City but then during COVID we expanded membership we have a Slack community Jane I'll give it to you I would love to Um, join it's great everybody are are welcome but like having that kind of having community of other women or I mean 
could also be, you know, trusted ally in, in your male counterparts too, yeah. where you can share feedback that you got and hear someone else's perspective, you know, it's, or, or talk to an HR business partner that like is supporting you, you know, like lean, lean on that those, those sources of community that you trust when, when you get a point of feedback and, and you're having yeah. a hard time implementing it or accepting it, you know, I think that's what makes us better as marketers too. And as leaders. Yes, for sure. I know a, a while back at a previous company, I was taught managing up and managing mm-hmm. your manager and giving that feedback and taking 360 degree feedback from everybody. And I love all of that now. I'm constantly asking for feedback from my team in the same way. Have you ever, I'm curious, did you feel like being a woman in that space and getting feedback, did you ever notice a difference between who was giving you feedback or um, what feedback non-women were receiving in that environment or the difference between the two or was it pretty even kilter? I don't want to make something up that's that wasn't actually yeah. a thing. I think I will say I think overall I I've been very fortunate in my career. I will say I'm privileged as a white woman. So like my experience is, is different, right? Um mm-hmm. than, than than women of color. But I've been really lucky in my career that that hasn't been an overarching theme. To yeah. say that there haven't been moments of of misogyny that I've experienced, I mean that wouldn't be true. Um, yeah. There are there are there are a few that stand out to me. Something as simple as like, especially early on in my career, like yes. take notes, and it's like I'm not a note take, taker. Like I'm a director at this company. I have a team. Why why would I why would I take notes? Not mm-hmm. that's not a bright code. <laughs> um, <laughs> very early on in in my career. Um, yeah. And, you know, there, there's moments where I've noticed a little bit of bro culture also throughout yeah. my career, which I'm, I know how to manage that and, and can navigate it. But it is something that as a woman, I take note of and I'm like, okay, that's something I'm going to have to deal with and navigate and figure out how to make sure that I stand in my authority, stand in my expertise. But it hasn't yeah. been, it hasn't been something that I've had to combat on a regular basis. But I've also predominantly had female leaders, not uh-huh. only, but predominantly yeah. had female leaders. Um, and I think that that could be a, a really, really big part of it. And it's something to model yeah. too. Like I've, I've been really fortunate that the majority of my, of my direct bosses and above have been strong, capable female leaders that are, that are inclusive and, and looking to, you know, support other strong women. Right. Um, I love that. Yeah, but that isn't always that isn't always the case, and that isn't to say that a that isn't to say that a male leader wouldn't do that either. Many of the mm-hmm. male leaders that I have had, so that's why I, I feel like I've encountered a lot of supportive environments. But I've also had to, right. I mean, not to quote Sheryl Sandberg, but like lean in, like you, like yeah. I also because of my personality, like I am a strong personality, and. I'm not afraid to raise you, my hand. Jillian? Not a, me? No, never. <laughs> she lives with me, guys. She knows. Um, like I'm, I'm also like not not afraid to to speak up and and I'm also not afraid to speak up and, and be wrong too. Yeah. Right? Like it, I just True. think it's important to have a seat at the table and, and a voice and decisions if you have something to say. Yeah. I think also some some background, Jillian and I both grew up in New York City represent. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that's strong. Yeah. (laughs) Queens on my side. (laughs) What is it? I represent Queens. She was raised out in Brooklyn. (laughs) Yep. Doing it well. Here we are. (laughs) Love it. So we definitely have that that strong woman background, I think. So being standing up for ourselves, maybe sometimes even too much, but it's yeah, it's interesting. I just like to to ask that question to different people too, just to see what they've experienced. Cause you hear some horror stories and you and I I think are very lucky to have not experienced a ton of them. And usually it's these micro moments that we've we've seen. But yeah, I'm glad glad to hear you haven't been through a huge um, situation where being a woman, you felt just yeah. super stepped on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as a leader, especially like with our tenure right now, like we're both at like, what, like 17 ish years ish. Crazy. Time flies. Or it doesn't. <laughs> Depends on the day. Um, but I think part of what I like as a people leader, part of my, what I do is, and it doesn't matter if it's a man, a woman, like is making sure that my employees feel like they're heard, that they, that they have the, the, they have the information that they need to make the decisions they need to do their jobs. It's about transparency, but it's also about trust and autonomy. Like I trust that they can do their job. And if they're having a challenging time with something that they know that I'm a manager that they can come to and, and try to get them the support that they need for whatever their issue is. And and sometimes it, it's not about gender. It's about some people are quieter than others. And it's about yeah. getting that person who's a little bit quieter, especially in a virtual environment, right? Because it, it yes. isn't an actual table. It's a Zoom screen or a Google Meet screen. But making sure that if someone is a little bit quiet, that like they're given the opportunity to speak to. And that's something that I'm always working on as a manager. It, it's, yeah. it's never perfect. But just making sure everybody feels like they're included. Like I, I like equitable experiences in the workplace, no matter what yeah. the level is. Agreed. Flattening it a little bit. It's funny. I feel like we've come full circle in the conversation talking about getting our content that visibility it deserves and then getting each member of our team the visibility they deserve and the voice. I love it. You're such a storyteller, Jade. <laughs> I try. Not quite Jillian Ryan level, but maybe one let's day. Hope, let's hope <laughs> there is an audience and that maybe they liked it. Right, right. <laughs> Everyone follow, follow and subscribe. Write a review. <laughs> let's um, wrap up today's podcast with, let's see, one thing I want to start to do, again, you're my very first episode, so I don't have a question for you from a past guest, mm. but I would love to ask two questions, two part. One is, what's your one key tip to fellow women in B2B marketing? And question two is, what is a question for the next guest that you'd like to ask? Okay. I love those questions. Let me think. My my one tip, I mean, I don't really have one There's so many. I think think it's, but at the end of the day, I think it's don't be complacent. The industry that we are in, the technology, the data, like there's so much potential. And even if you did something and it worked, it doesn't mean it will work the next time. It doesn't mean that there isn't a better way to do it. And I think always being open to innovating how you go to market, how you create content, how you target audiences. It's very important. And I think if you if you're just doing the same old thing in a year it won't work. Right. So it's 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 about that innovation, being open to learning, being open to what your peers are talking about. 
And my question, this should be the easy part for me because Right. I journalism people for six years <laughs> at eMarketer. Um, my question for your next guest, we'll see here, Jane. I don't know who your next guest is, so it's hard for me to have a tailored question for that person. This is very true. Um, but I, I think you got me on the spot here. <laughs> it will I, be a know, fellow woman well, leader in B2B marketing for some context of who the person will be. Even yeah. I don't know at this point. I think I want to know where like what is the career aspiration of like what's where do they want to be in five years you know I don't think I can answer that question for myself so I'm putting that person in a rough decision right in, in a rough situation yeah. but like what what's the goal in their career like what kind of company do they want to work for what kind of marketing do they want to be doing yeah that's like five questions in one Pick yeah one. but I you know what I I like about ending on this note is that I want the listeners to think about this and answer the question for themselves, right? Get their gears spinning, kind of turn the microphone on the audience for a bit and have them answer that. But yeah, I will have the next guest answer that as well. And I can't wait to tune in and hear who it is. Thank you. Oh my gosh, Jane, it was my absolute pleasure. I enjoyed geeking out with you and and talking about all this stuff. Love it. Happy to come back and do it again if you ever need repeat guests. Yeah, let's do this more often. So much success. Thank you. And Jillian, where, if our listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you? I'll put these links in the show notes yeah. too. Yeah, I, I'm an active and avid LinkedIn-er. I have the creator mode on. So I will um, have Jane drop a link. But Jillian Ryan Writer is the, is the vanity URL for my LinkedIn. Welcome people uh-huh. to message me. It's something that I say spark an idea. I'm open to feedback. (laughs) feedback. Follow me, connect with me. You know, community is so important. Um, And it's important for us to see ourselves in in the industry that we're in, within the work that we do. And so I'm very open to connecting with all, all the people out there. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jillian, again for joining. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will See you next time. You'll see us. You'll hear us. We'll be there next time. Thanks, everyone. 